Got it. Okay. Hi, I'm Sarah Cooperman. I'm the CEO of SCW Fitness Education and Water Emotion and the new Seat Fitness program, seatfitness.com. We're doing it for older adults. Very cool. I see wonderful people, Kathy, Joyce, May, Becky, M, um, Nan. I got a couple Kathy's in here. Jackie, Rose. Love this. Thank you guys for joining me. Hi, Meg. Um, we're, we have some great people with us tonight. I'm really excited about this. Um, we're going to be talking about range of motion, what you need to know. Um, and we've got, you know, how do we personalize movement to accommodate various bodies and range of motion? Is it possible someone will never be able to do certain movements? Is inflexible? Is inflexibility a bad thing? Can we be too flexible? We're going to look at different techniques, the impacts on the range of motion, performance change, blah, blah, all in 45 minutes. I know it's a little bit insane, but we've got some great people with us tonight. We've got the fabulous Andrea Metcalf. Yeah, we know it's her because, yeah, there we go. And um, she's a best-selling author and celebrity fitness expert with over 35 years of experience. She started when she was eight years old in the fitness industry. She's got, she's made hundreds of media appearances from NBC to Oprah.com. She's a certified personal trainer. She's a group fitness instructor. She's co-founder of Onyx International, and she's launching this really cool new thing, new Pilates machine with a patent pending. I don't know. We'll have, it's, it's got double springs. Anything with double springs, you know, has my heart. Um, we've also got Demetrius Hill. Love Demetrius. This guy is a fabulous presenter, great person. He's got a master's in healthcare administration. He's also a certified personal trainer from the Cooper Institute. He's developed teacher training programs in 16 different countries while he was based in Germany for eight years. And he's a professor in Southern California um, and he teaches health science and business administration. We love that. And then we have Pete McCall, who is absolutely one of my favorite presenters and uh, he's such an incredible educator. He works with Core Health and Fitness. He works with ACE. He works with NASM. He's also a coach for the Coastal Dragons Rugby Club. Okay. He has not danced on MTV. Demetrius has danced on MTV. Andrea wants to dance on MTV. Okay. Anyway, he is also <laughs> the host of a fabulous podcast that I actually have been on. It's all about fitness. I highly recommend you guys listen in on it. And he's the author of articles and chapters and textbooks and books on his no, his own. And of course, he's got a he's got there we go ageless intensity. So I I am so excited about having these folks on. And I'm going to start with you, Pete. Flexibility, mobility, stability, range of motion. How does it all fit together or does it even all fit together? No, well, first of all, thank you uh, for having me here, Sarah. And thanks to Demetrius and Andrea for being here and for everybody uh, for joining us. Um, Cause yeah, this can be somewhat confusing. The way I look at it is joints have a range of motion and joints can be flexible and joints will move to what they're structurally designed to do, but it's the tissue. It's the muscle and connective tissue that a lot, that that's what's called extensible. They can either lengthen or shorten. 
So it's a combination of the range of motion of the structure and the extensibility of the tissue that allows for mobility. So that's a long way to answer the fact that they kind of all go together, but I prefer to look at it as mobility because the other stuff can be transitory, can, can, struck, can shift from day to day. And, and what I like is that you said day to day. So we were talking about before we turned the camera on, we were talking about, you know, um, what was the term you used when somebody's hips were? <laughs> oh, gunked up when they were gunked, uh, gunked up. up. Yeah. You guys, yeah, if yeah. you need to Google that term like I did, it's very technical. It's only if you have a master's <laughs> degree where you understand it. But Pete, you were talking about you, you connect with your clients and make sure you understand what they've done the day before, what their aspirations are. How do you do this? Well, I think a lot of instructors do this um, of where during a warm-up, you just kind of watch people. And if you, if you use consistent warm-up exercises, I try to be relatively consistent in my warm-up routine, partly for the rehearsal effect, but partly because that's what you can tell. And what I mean by gunked up is, is if I see your squat shifting a little bit today, whereas it normally doesn't, maybe that's because you did a couple hours of yard work yesterday, or maybe that's because you got stuck in an awkward position for a meeting for a period of time and muscles are a little bit sore and muscles are sore. They're going to affect the range of motion. So I, I learned the term gunked up from Gary Gray, uh, who's a lot smarter than I am when it comes to biomechanics, but it just means that, that, it, that a joint is not going to work the way it's designed to or intended to. That's yeah, that's interesting. Um, Andrea, when you work with your clients, how do you, balance to be between stability and flexibility? Well, I mean, they, they go hand in hand and just kind of to rip off of Pete a little bit, when I see my client actually walking in, I can normally tell just from years of looking at that gait analysis, how their body's feeling. And then as they're going through their warm up, just like you said, you'll notice something doesn't turn the right way when they're doing a rotational pattern or they may be stepping funny into the arch of their foot. Um, and so when we talk about stability, those muscles, the smaller muscles are the ones that typically are the weaker, tighter muscles. And so those tightnesses I look at and I go for the strength patterns against them because flexibility isn't just about stretching the tissue, it's about strengthening the opposing joint to allow for movement. I kind of think of it as like, if I try and bend forward, but my hamstrings and glutes aren't strong enough to counterbalance the quads, that hip doesn't want to go anywhere. It's going to hold on to it and it's going to stop that range of motion. As this hamstring gets stronger, it's going to allow this to move more freely. And so it's really about a, you know, a synergistic relationship, if you will, of the muscles around the joint that they all have to have their proper tension. Yeah. I remember, um, in getting certified in personal training, one of the most important aspects of flexibility is balanced strength. Um, and I've had, I, I always share with people that have had several knee surgeries and the focus on the hamstring, um, not just flexibility, but also strength has been able, has been a strong force and at least hopefully preventing a number of surgeries. You guys I do that, that are on the webinar watching, if you do move your mouse and you see the green share button at the bottom of the screen, go to the left and click on that chat box and you're welcome to ask questions. I love to know where you guys are from. Um, we love to know if you've got any specific questions or any injuries or any comments that you have. 
We love to hear from you. Sean Senegin, who's our creative director at SCW, he's running the chat box. He's a little frightening, so I recommend <laughs> uh, please contribute. Um, Demetrius, what is your thoughts on balancing flexibility with stability? Well, thanks for having me, Sarah. I really appreciate it. And I'm glad everyone showed up. This is a great opportunity for us to share, right? Um, you know, stability and the mobility and the flexibility, for me, the disposition and the lifestyle, those are really two important factors. And whether or not you're integrating the stability training or the mobility training into your client's uh, lifestyle. So for example, I have one client, he's in his mid 60s. He is a doctor and he's very active. He does spin class, but he has um, he always a tight lower back. And I believe the spinning is contributing to that because of those hip, that hip flexion that's re repetitive. So what we do is we focus on the mobility aspect for him. But on the other hand, I have another client that is 69 years old and a male, and he has balance issues. So we focus on the stability and the core training. So, you know, yes, they go hand in hand, but it also depends on the, the client's needs. Okay. And determining those client's needs, do you specifically ask questions? Do you watch the range of motion? Do you do assessments? Um, uh, with each training session, or do you do an assessment possibly quarterly? How do you determine that, Demetrius? Well, I'm glad you asked that because I just wrote um, some um, information on assessments. And so um, basically it's a great way to motivate to have um, to establish some goals through the assessment. So in this instance, the flexibility assessment is one way to motivate the client to uh, you know, continue on. And so, but to answer your question, I basically, I do, I kind of do what um, someone mentioned earlier, and that is that have them do the same kind of uniform warm up and I watch them. But at the same time, I believe that, um, that including just flexibility all the time in every workout is kind of the way I run things for my clients. So for example, towards the end, we do um, some dynamic stretching, and then we do some static stretching. And so um, I really don't necessarily have a fixed date or time for these assessments. But I do, on the other hand, make sure that, that I mention to them, hey, you've gotten a few degrees more out of this hamstring stretch, you know, and this way they realize that all the work they put in is paying off. And how do you do the dynamic um flexibility work like let's say we're talking about the hips great no that's great yeah and that's exactly what i do so i have them in a supine position and i usually give them a strap of some sort and we we flex the right hip we raise the right leg up and then we put a band or a strap around that foot and then we do literally each client that i have uh which is not many i have about eight clients and uh, we lift that leg repeatedly over and over again for 10 times, then we hold it up. And usually that pro during that process, they gain a few degrees of movement or um, flexibility. And then we also integrate the other parts of that hip, like a little bit of IT band stretching and a little gracilis and so forth. So um, we do that for the dynamic stretching all the time. 
Um, I also sometimes use uh, the rotation, you know, so we'll do, we'll do some, uh, since I teach Pilates, we do some uh, dynamic rotation, uh, usually during the workout so that we can increase that mobility in the transverse plane. Oh, and that's great. That's great. Um, Pete, you know, what I was thinking, Demetrius, is when somebody's lying on their back, supine position, and they've got a strap or let's say yoga strap or whatever around their foot and they, they elevate it. Pete, what I was wondering is what do you think of PNF stretching of the proprio-neuromuscular facilitation stretching? It was really big several years ago and are people still using it now? It could be... It's like anything else. It could be a useful tool if you know how to, to apply it correctly. And it can be somewhat challenging to teach somebody how to do it on, by themselves, like the whole contract, relax about what Demetrius is talking about, hold the leg in an extended position. And you're actually using contraction of the quadriceps to allow lengthening of the hamstrings. It can be a great, it can be a great tool if you're using it with a client to help the client feel better. But I've really uh, become a bunch bigger fan of percussion guns and <clears throat> the massage guns, percussion guns, whatever you want to call them for being able to get that kind of momentary range of motion. Cause that's the thing. I mean, it all comes down to however manipulate the tissue for the most part, it's only momentary and you either need to use the range of motion that you just gained or it's going to go away again. Yeah. Yeah. And as some of the research, it was pretty similar to foam rolling. You know, the benefits are short term, have they discovered that any of the benefits from the percussion, Andrea, have they found that it's, it's longstanding? Well, what I wanted to jump in and say, as we're talking about this conversation, it used to be that when we thought of flexibility, we thought of only stretching. And that's where these next pieces come into. And what I try and tell people, I'll, I'll do lectures on flexibility and I'll say, okay, who in the crowd here can't touch their toes? And there'll be one person who's like six inches from the floor and they don't have a back injury. So don't worry about that forward flexion, but then I'll get them on the ground. And for three minutes while I'm talking about flexibility training and how we need to rethink about stretching and strengthening, they are in a hip bridge. Then they stand up and miraculously they can touch their toes. And they're like, how did this happen? You know, it's like Helen Keller, I can see again. <laughs> what we have to understand is that when we have energy moving through the body. And that's all that muscle tone is. Muscle tone is energy within the muscle. And the more that we work out, the more that energy stays in there. The more we don't work out, the energy starts to deplete and we get into an atrophy state. So the more that we put in the heat, the percussion gun, the myofascial release, the more pliable tissue is, the more tissue will move. If we leave the tissue out in the sun, like OJ's glove, it will shrink and tighten and you won't be able to move. So flexibility training is all about movement and it's really not just about stretching. And that's why when Pete said the percussion sense, I'm like, yes, when you get a client on the table and you do a little of this kind of, we'll call it massage work with the guns because they think it's amazing. All of a sudden, every movement after that starts to become more free. But tomorrow when they wake up, they're not going to have that same movement unless they continue with it. So it's all about the energy within the muscle. And Pete, okay. you're nodding and you're touching body parts and um, <laughs> please, please <laughs> share with us. Yeah. We don't want to know what's going beyond the, you know, whatever. Oh, but, I'm, um, I'm doing that, that charade. She's on the, but she has it. I'm on the nose. I know. Yeah, that's, that's, that's from charades, but I know, anyway. I know. But, but what, 
you obviously very strongly agreed with that. Is there a lot of research that follows up that all these benefits are short term? Yes, I mean, and that, I mean, in short, I mean, if you if you do static stretching, what you're doing is you're ultimately telling the muscle relax and lengthen, which is why it's not recommended before activity. I mean, if you, I mean, there are protocols where you can static stretch a muscle then move it through the range of motion, and you're trying to enhance the fire off the nervous system, and that really is that that that's where I've landed on it over the years. Where if you want to improve flexibility, go through dynamic, go through a dynamic warm up. I mean, your, your flexibility will change immediately within, you know, 10 to 12 minutes of a dynamic warm-up, And that can include walking lunges, walking hurdle steps, leg kicks, because anything, if you're, if you're relatively cold now, any type of movement, I'm sure Andrea and Demetrius both, both agree with this, is if you're cold now, any type of movement, I love the way Andrea put it, you're putting energy into the tissue and energy in the tissue is going to cause the tissue to be able to lengthen and move. But then once you're cold again, it's just going to come back and stay in that static position. So it's always transitory. It's just how do you use it? And um, Demetrius, uh, Meg asked a question. She said, what are your thoughts on assisted stretching? Yeah, I saw that. And is assisted stretching, I believe, is good um, to a certain extent. And that is, is that if you are... And I guess what she meant by assisted stretching is that that PNF style where someone is actually um, assisting you, facilitating the stretch. That's where we're going, right? I'm guessing that's what she means by that. Um, so this is good. This allows the client to relax uh, to a certain extent because they're having the work kind of uh, facilitated for them and they don't have to work as hard per se, because someone is manually facilitating this process of this joint mobility. On the other hand, if we're talking about functional fitness, then it, you know, having anyone outside yourself is not gonna be the most uh, functional, if I can use the same word, the, the most practical route. So stretching on your own, dynamic stretching, uh, some static stretching, uh, mobility exercises, all of that, are gonna be the, the most beneficial because you are asking yourself to do it and knowing it to help you through that process. So yeah, I well, it's, it's, there's it's a place for it. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, I, I, I agree with you. It's interesting because when you're doing the PNF, you push against the resist, against the, like if this is my leg and this is the band and I'm laying back here and I'm pushing, 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 trying to push my leg down and then I kind of relax the muscle and then assist, as the trainer, I can assist and push the leg back, stretching out that hamstring. You've, as Andrea put it, and as Pete supported, it feels like you're putting energy, you're contracting the muscle, pushing blood into it, heating it up, and then you release the muscle and just let the tissue stretch. And it's a wonderful way to stretch. What I also think about this, how does this work with yoga? Now we didn't talk about this before, but I think about this with yoga because we're doing very strong, intense movements with yoga. And then we also have yin yoga, yin and yang, all right? You have that yin yoga where it's just, you're totally relaxed out and just relaxing into the, into the stretch. Is that because the muscles get contracted through just day-to-day -day tension and children and work 
And then suddenly you're able to relax the body and it actually helps with your flexibility. Any thoughts I can on jump, that? I can, I can jump in Andrea, onto that. Yes, please. When I think of traditional yoga, for every movement, there's an opposite movement, which is part of that push and pull, which is the strengthening part. That's why up dog to down dog feels so good because in down dog, I'm stretching the hamstrings. My hip flexors are shortened. My shoulders are lengthening and up dog. Now I'm squeezing the glutes, opening the hip flexor. So my hip flexor was closed and my hip flexors open. And I continue through that process. And you notice that we spend more time in a down dog position in a traditional yoga class than in an up dog. Why is that? Because we need to strengthen the stability of the hamstrings. And when we take it into a single leg dog or we push it through into warrior one, we're changing which muscles become dominant. Traditional aerobics classes are going to be more forward quad stepping, lunges, squats. We get the opposite. Going into the yin yoga, remember we talked about that energy through the muscle. When we are tense, when we have high cortisol levels, when we are stressed out, when we lower the cortisol levels by going into the breath and just laying down, the energy changes throughout the body. So now the muscles are in a relaxed state, they're more pliable. So yes, we feel more flexible. We're not any flexible getting to the splits as we were the day before, but the joint has relaxed and almost reset. And one more thing that I love to talk about too is in the morning when we were born, our babies did a stretch, our dogs do a stretch. We lost the um, natural reflex to reset the muscle tension in the body. Nobody does this, oh, I, oh, I got to do this in the morning. Like rarely do we see people reset the spine and the muscle tension. But by doing that simple movement, the whole day flows different because I've put energy through the body. I've reset the muscle tension to where it's naturally supposed to be, which is the anatomical position. And, you know, it, it just feels good. So that's my thought. That's interesting. I, I have to, I, I hear you with this because I used to get up and stretch. Now what I do is I get up and I go, okay, what's going to hurt today? You know, I mean, like, or I look at my phone, I look at yeah, my phone oh, right no, away. I bend over, I look at my phone, my tension goes uh, up, the cortisol levels go up, the body tightens, goes uh, into protective mode. We uh, got to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely stretch. Um, Pete, what do you, I, I, when I was listening to Andrea talk, speaking, the she was emphasizing that in yoga, we end up doing more downward dog. I see that a lot. I have to be honest with you. I do far more extensions as a yoga instructor than I think a lot of my um, uh, compatriots, you know, um, I really believe in the extensions because I'm like right here, I'm sitting in a chair. I end up sitting in a chair most of my day. And I know Pete, you have a standing desk and you're always standing. So this is, uh, this is actually the first time in the number of times I've done this. I'm actually sitting for this, um, but I am sitting at a bar stool at my standing desk. No, the one thing I'd like, I don't want the two things I'm going to add on to Andrea. And I was exactly thinking the same thing is one of the benefits about yoga is in terms of flexibility is the breath work is in the balance between sympathetic drive and parasympathetic drive. Because when we start exercising, we, 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 we fire off the sympathetic nervous system. That's our adrenaline. That's uh, our, our cortisol, which produces the energy for our muscles to work. And we forget about the fact we just need to breathe sometimes to get oxygen into the tissue. And that can really, and, and I've only just, I don't, I'm, I don't purport to be an expert on breath work 
by any stretch of the imagination, but it totally makes sense to me to have a concentrated effort on breath work in an effort to pump O2 into the muscle, get the CO2 out and relax. Then finally, what I love about yoga, and this is kind of tough to talk about in a two-dimensional, is if you're doing a single leg and you're pushing your foot into the ground, like in a tree, for example, that act of pushing your foot or hand into the ground is actually critical for flexibility. Because if you're pushing your arm into the ground, you're going to get more range of motion out of the shoulders. Or if you're pushing your hand down, if you're pushing your foot into the ground, you're going to get more range of motion from the opposite hip. It's something called a cross extensor reflex where contraction on one side of the joint, whether it's the hip or the, or the shoulder, is going to allow for greater range of motion on the opposite side of the joint. And just the, the times I've done yoga, to me, they hit the nail on the head. And when they created this five to 7,000 years ago, they knew what they're doing in terms of how to manipulate the tissues and the joints of the body, because that can really pushing one hand into the ground or pushing one foot into the ground is really one of the tricks to opening up to the tissues and the joints that just often aren't really highlighted in a class, at least in the classes I've been in. And what about, you know, okay, we're diving into yoga, which of course we weren't like, but when you're talking about range of motion, everybody thinks of flexibility and immediately they also think of, of uh, that yoga's coming in. Um, what about hot yoga? What about the being, um, working on flexibility in a warmer environment, Pete? What do you, how does that help? Is it longer term, shorter term? Does it even matter if it has a term? Just because I, because you can does not mean you should, in, in my opinion. I mean, could there be a benefit from hotter yoga? Sure, you're going to hit, you're going to heat the tissue, tissue can become more pliable, but we don't want our ligaments. I mean, our ligaments are not designed to be pliable. Our ligaments are not designed to stretch. And some of the stuff I've read about hot yoga is if you do it repeatedly, then you can get laxity out, out, of, the, out of the ligaments. So you can create some, some movement in joints in the body that aren't designed to have that much movement. For example, the SI joint, the sacroiliac joint. So it might be, it's one of those things of where there might be some benefits to hot yoga. Again, when it comes to mobility, it's transitory because as soon as the tissue gets cold, you're going to lose that range of motion. And, and if the tissue is not hydrated, if it becomes dehydrated because it's been overheated for too long, that's going to really put you in a much worse state to begin with. So I think hot yoga creates perception of doing more, but really it's, it's not long-term benefits. I don't think are there. I might be wrong though, but I don't know. Andrea, hold on one second, please. Demetrius, I was going to ask you, what are your thoughts on the stretching in a warmer environment, stretching, you know, heating the body up before you exercise to be in a cooler environment? Um, well, I just think of this principle of specificity. So if you're going to uh, train in a cool environment, did you say you're going to do some warm up for a different, like in one environment and then go into another environment? Is that what you said, Sarah? No, no, no. I'm, I'm wondering that is, um, you know, we heat the body up to stretch. Does being in a warmer environment such as hot yoga does that help with the flexibility? I think Pete really kind of clarified a few things, but I was wondering what your thoughts might be on that. Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, for one thing, my opinion is I can't do anything in hot hell yoga. <laughs> <laughs> that is just hot. Me. We're not supposed to swear. Sean's saying again. Oh, I'm so sorry. Well, okay. Uh, no, it's okay. It's a technical term. Hot yeah. hell yoga. Yeah, I've read that several places. <laughs> 
Probably squared. So sorry, but I just know that for me, this is um, probably a little bit over, oh, not necessary, perhaps. I believe it's more of a branding thing. It's This is just my opinion, but you're asking me what the functionality of the whole thing is. And I believe, yes, okay, the muscle does, the joints do need to be warm uh, to get that pliability and that elasticity. However, that warmth is again, something that you're creating on your own. You are not looking outside for the warmth. You are trying to create the warmth on your own inside the joints. Mm -hmm. This is gonna be the most practical way to approach stretching. Because you, like uh, everyone was saying, that you can't uh, necessarily maintain this type of heated situation, and so that you're going to get have a deep, like a diminishing returns if you can't seem to um, find another hot place to get a good stretch. So, what if you can't find a place, a hot yoga? Are you not able to get a good stretch? Well, you could if you practice in a normal environment all the time and increase your flexibility in that way as opposed to going to a place to get more flexibility. So yeah, I think there's a place for it, but I just think that it's uh, not necessary. Yeah. yeah. Andrea, you had a comment. I hope you didn't forget it. Um, well, it goes back just a couple to Pete talking about the breath work and we had talked a little bit about the breath work and I try and, and this is, this is my thought pattern on breath. So it's not documented anywhere, but when we go from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic central nervous system on the thought of breathing and being conscious in my breath, I feel like that frees up a little space of all the mechanisms that the body has to remember on what to do to stay alive. When I think about the breath and I'm focused on the breath. And I think that that shift in the mindset is what helps us to relax as well going into the heated part on the heat, you know, we have to remember when we go into a hot room of 104 degrees and depending on how it's hot, if it's high, hot heat, infrared heat, or um, just the, the temperature turned up, blood pressure also is increased, heart rates also increased. And so we have some things that are naturally kind of elevating the energy system in our body, not necessarily to a positive space. And when we think about places where we put the extra stress on the body and then go into a strength training, because most of the hot yoga isn't just, I mean, when we go to the, we'll go to the, the, the quintessential Bikram space, this is not a slow moving, um, easy, light vinyasa flow. There's strength and there's work going on during this. So, you know, hot or cold, I don't think it's something you should be practicing on a regular basis as it feels good to you. I know it felt good at 30 um, in my fifties. I really don't enjoy it as much anymore. I actually feel the change in my blood pressure and I'm tuned into it differently. So, you know, but if it's getting somebody to the gym and they're doing it more regularly and staying active, I'd rather have them do that than do nothing. Yeah. Um, it, interestingly enough, Baron Baptiste used to teach hot yoga. And every time I was at QVC, in Philadelphia, I'd go and take his class. So I would make sure I was like the last person to walk in the room so I could be by the door. And it was so <laughs> hot in that room. Like I literally like would suck under the door to get some cool air. And I remember once I kind of looked around and I kind of popped the door a little bit. Oh my God, I got screamed at. I got screamed at. And I thought, <laughs> but I'm working out, I'm getting great flexibility and I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Yeah. Now, 
the stress of that, you know, we do want to work towards an anaerobic threshold to strengthen the heart and the lungs and the efficiency of the cardiovascular system. So whatever air I get in, my body has to work harder to actually utilize that air, you know, in my body. So I become more efficient. So when I'm in a comfortable environment, I, you know, my breath can be a little bit more shallow. My heart slows down. I'm a little healthier. So this challenge is it, it it's that, it's that fine line. Is it, is it healthy to challenge the body in this manner? Is it necessary? I'm always thinking of activities of daily living. Um, according to uh, Kenneth Cooper, I just was at URSA, the International Health and Racket Sports Association Convention. Um, it was a fabulous conference in Dallas. And Dr. Cooper was talking. And um, it's fascinating because you do not have to be at this high level of fitness. All we have to do to help with longevity and just general health and activities of daily living is a moderate fitness level. You know, these extreme workouts that we put ourselves through, what really is the benefit? And, and I look at that. I, you, we want to push the body because it makes it healthier and able to deal with the stress of day-to-day -day life. But what are the long-term benefits? Um, so I'm going to go back to Demetrius, how often or how much should you program mobility and flexibility into your workout routine? You know, we used to go, okay, I'm going to do five minute warm up, but when I hit the age of 50, I'm going to extend it to a 10 minute warm up, you know, with a, that's a dynamic warm up, And then I'm going to have my flexibility, my, um, uh, my more flexibility and mobility work at the end of the workout because my body is hot. How do we measure that? How often? How much? It goes back to, Sarah, the fitness level, I believe. And so if you are dealing with someone that is a beginner, and we can go by the ACSM or the NASM or any one of those as governing bodies, they say that, okay, the persons that are beginners two days a week with a little bit of everything is where you start and you kind of increase that and the scale goes up according to your experience and your fit and your fitness ability. So, um, so if I speak from personal experience, I have clients that have been with me for six years, five years, three years. And so they are used to the standard dynamic warm up at the very beginning and you're asking, you're specifically asking about the programming. So I'm addressing that. And then at the end or in the middle of the workout, so if we're talking about an hour in the middle, I sneak in a balance and I sneak in a, uh, another flexibility exercise. And again, that would be, and in that instance, it's either static or um, dynamic. And at the very end, we do our post stretches which is a combination of static and dynamic also. So uh, again, I base it on the, and also the, the frequency. So I base it on, if I see the client uh, several days a week, then we can do the flexibility less. But if I see them a few days a week, then we'll do flexibility a little bit more. And then again, I base the, the inserts of the flexibility on um, what their fitness level is. So there are okay. different 
think about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And Andrea, what I love about the chat boxes, we're talking about people who are hungover. Very key and uh, the professionalism. Is just that is the hydrated. ultimate dehydrated person is someone who's been drinking. And they are the, the most prone when they come in for the workout to tear something, to, to roll something. Their brain's not functioning well and their body's not functioning well. So the question was about, is it really important to be hydrated? And because the tissues we're talking about are mostly made up of water, yes. I think Tiger Woods coined the phrase, hydrate to concentrate. And it's one of the key things I always think about. If you aren't drinking enough water, you can't lose weight, you can't work out as easily, and you're not as smart. That's it. <laughs> what do you really think? <laughs> I just told you. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Pete, you I were, can't sit you still were... either, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Pete, you were nodding your head and uh, well, what else? Well, no, I mean, uh, that's important. And a lot of times we forget that the, the more important tissue is the fascia and connective tissue and, and all that. You, when you look between the layers of tissue, that if you're well hydrated, the wears slide across one another very easily, like, like she's a plastic or she's a rubber. But if you're not well hydrated, then think about the layers of tissue sliding across one another, like sandpaper or like Velcro. They're just not going to be as efficient. And so that's where hydration plays is critical for this concept of mobility in terms of being able to use your tissues and, and develop force from your muscles. And it's interesting. I was uh, we actually did a whole webinar on hydration, and what was fascinating is that um, a lot of people said that we need some salt in our water. We need to make sure we've got we're not just drinking this water and. What are your thoughts on that, Pete? Well, no, I mean, sodium, it was it sodium, magnesium, potassium, all the electrolytes. They just help. Right. What they do is they help the tissues absorb water that much easier. And, you know, you can drink the chemicals and the, the sugar and whatnot in Gatorade, but by putting a little bit of sodium and a little bit of um, non-processed sugar in your water, you get basically the same thing. Just, yeah. just a pinch, just a pinch of salt. And just a couple of drops of honey. It's not, I think we get sometimes confused too, because too much sodium is going to dehydrate the body as well. Right. Well, think of, well, anything, anything in fitness. I mean, I, I've been using this for the last couple of weeks. Anything in fitness is baby bear. Because if you do too much, you become papa bear. If you do too little, you become mama bear. And it doesn't have an effect. So we're all looking mm -hmm. for our own baby bear, hey, whether hey, it's flexibility, hey, whether hey. it's strength, or whether it's anything else. You're just looking for baby bear. That's what you're doing, Sarah. You're searching for baby bear. There's the name of your next conference series. <laughs> I, I feel the name of a workshop coming on. That's, that's what I'm feeling from, the, from you guys. Um, so can, I think, Andrea, I think you touched on this a little bit. How can you use strength training to increase range of motion? Um, tight muscles are typically weak muscles. So if I don't have the hip mobility I want, I'm probably going to need to strengthen those hip rotators and the hip stabilizers. And I think that's, uh, if we think about how the body moves forward all day long, if you just focus on the backside training, you're going to get more front mobility. If you want to do the side mobility, you're going to have to focus on the opposing side. So, you know, this, we, we've kept putting it into buckets as cardiovascular training, strength training, flexibility training. And we always said flexibility is the stretching part. And I think I saw somebody saying, you know, do you do the stretches at the end after the core? 
um, correct me if I'm wrong, and Pete will probably be able to chime in on this, um, or even Demetrius, there was a time, I feel like in the mid 90s, that we did the best improvements in strength, where we went through our, our three sets of strength, and then we stretched afterwards, and the recovery was faster, and the strength uh, builds were, were faster as well. And then we learned that it wasn't just the stretch or the static stretch because that slowed down the Golgi tendon and the muscle reaction, but it was dynamic stretch that we needed to do. And to me, a lot of movement is dynamic stretch and a lot of strengthening movements are dynamic. So if you can just kind of, instead of thinking like, I do my cardio warm up, I do my strength training, I do my stretching, is how these all are fluid and they move together, you're gonna have a much better workout. And that's where I think functional training kind of came in with, we do bear crawls, we do lunges, we do rotationals, or we do the Gary Gray matrix that came up the last time I was on here. Um, if we go back to some of those really simple ideas of movement, we're gonna hit it on the head. Yeah, that's it. You know what? I can't even believe it. We're almost out of time here. So yeah. if I were asking you, um, Pete, give me, give me a, um, a couple statements closing regarding range of motion, what we need to know. Well, I'm, I'm just going to say uh, what she said, but in, re in reality, honestly, every, every exercise is a mobility exercise because anytime you're exercising, anytime a joint is moving, you get a range of motion, right? If my shoulder is moving, some muscles are lengthening, some muscles are shortening. So if you, if you take a meta look at it, then any exercise is a range of motion exercise. So you would just want to do the mobility of what your workout is going to be that day. And if you're going to be doing a higher intensity workout, you probably need a few more mobility exercises to warm up. If your workout isn't going to be that high of an intensity, then the mobility exercises could be the warm up. It really is. I'm going to come back to this concept of it's transitory from workout to workout, depending on what you get out of it, what you put into it. Great. And Demetrius? Um, what do you think is a great concept for what we need to know regarding range of motion? I think that we all have to consider that we're getting older by the second. So we probably, <laughs> so we probably should, you know, stretch and be as active as possible. I was actually doing a, uh, some reading and on a study about the metabolism and how uh, there was once known as the age and the metabolism. They were kind of coinciding, but really this study, this particular article I was reading was saying that you just keep yourself moving. You keep yourself active and then the metabolism, no matter how old you are, the metabolism will take care of itself. It will probably slow down. Um, and so, or it will slow down, but it will also, um, depend on how much you work out. But as far as the range of motion is concerned, I would say to rate it on a perceived exertion scale. So when you are working out, when you do your cardio, you are thinking low intensity, mid intensity, high intensity. So why can't and why shouldn't you apply that to flexibility training? If especially if you're on a progressive type of program, if you want to get better, then you want these stretches to feel more like a seven, eight, or a nine on the scale of one to 10. Unless you're not interested in that, maybe you just want to be on the maintenance program and the stretch to feel mild. So I would say always progress yourself along 
use the intensity that you need so that you're gaining flexibility every time that you stretch. Very interesting. And Andrea, what would be your closing? Oh, uh, I, I want to know what this 90-90 shin box hip lift is that Meg said. Is that hmm. where I have my, do I have my knees both bent and then I'm going to lift something? I'm confused. Where is she? Is she in the, can she show us her You video? You drop them down. You, you sit with your legs in front of you, you drop them down side to side. So if you're sitting like Indian style with oh, your legs one, in front of this? you. Yeah, where you drop, yeah, you drop both legs in on one side oh, and that's then the other. The Got yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't know what it was yeah. called. There's actually yeah. a name for that. Thank you for bringing that up. I like that one too. My closing is, um, you know, we're all here to, to try and share what we know and inspire other people to get moving. And just by each of you being here tonight is just such a gift. And I'm so grateful to be part of it. And Sarah, you've been doing this for years and years. <laughs> I've been watching you. And I just so appreciate what you've done for the industry. And for all of us on here, you bring us together. You, you give so much for free, for free, for free. And um, I think we all need to, like I said, support each other. Thank you. Well, you guys are the best. Well, we are really excited to be able to bring you guys live conferences. We just had Midwest Mania. It was wonderful. We're doing Dallas Mania. We're having, believe it or not, on-site free COVID testing, the rapid test, five minutes. I love it. I love it. We're opening up. We're doing it safely. It's, it's exciting. So I want to thank you all for joining me. Sean Senegan, thank for for hurting us cats and keeping us together. Thank you, Andrea. I think we lost Pete. And thank you, Demetrius. We'll see you guys later. Have a great evening. Thanks, you guys. Bye. Thank you.